Hello, my name is Jim Varner. I am pleased to introduce a topic which should be of interest to uh, us all. Um, with our emphasis this month on health, we thought it would be a good idea to approach this from a different perspective and one that can be applied to the workplace. For this reason, we are pleased to have with us today Mr. Kerry Folk. Kerry, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks, Jim. Glad to be here. Kerry, tell us about yourself and your connection to this month's uh, podcast emphasis on health and wellness. Uh, the short answer of that, Jim, is, is uh, I'm an executive coach here in Memphis, and I have a practice working with leaders in uh, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, senior leaders, uh, business owners, uh, in working on their leadership capacity. And a core part of that is, is wellness, fundamental to a leader leading well. And so that's how I got here today. Well, that's an intriguing concept. I indeed was intrigued by your special project in concert with the University of Memphis titled mm -hmm. Live Well to Lead Well. Mm -hmm. What was your genesis of this approach and your ins inspiration for pursuing this as a career? Oh, so two-part question. The genesis of the approach. So I, I think I had understood wellness as most people did. Uh, wellness to me was physical or mental. But a broader kind of idea of wellness didn't come to me till I went to Memphis. I wanted to study human thriving. And there's some groups around the country that are taking a holistic view of wellness. So that's the genesis of the idea that wellness is, is, can be a powerful tool for leadership and how we develop leaders. And there was a second part of your question. Well, as a career choice. As a career choice. Ooh, that's going to take me back to the leadership development intensive of Leadership Academy in the year 2000. Um, Linda Bailey is a, a longtime Memphian that's been involved with leadership development ever since the 90s. And, and they still do the program today. It's the New Memphis Institute today. Anna Mullins-Ellis leads it now. Great organization. Um, that kind of wet the whistle, so to speak, in terms of I'd always had just a business career. Uh, but I always had this bent of, of asking this question, you know, how can I live better? How can I be better? How can I, how can I be a better husband? How can, and then how can I be a better leader too? I really hadn't done those two conversations together in the same voice, meaning personally living well as well as leading well within the businesses that I was working in. I had a kind of a parallel career of, of owning and operating my own businesses in one path was being involved with businesses, leading them and owning them. I was in heavy highway construction, real estate development, uh, the restaurant, um, um, wholesale coffee. This other path I had was consulting and coaching with those same kinds of businesses. Um, so when I did the leadership development intensive, that's what lit the, lit the candle, so to speak, and the spark that got me going deeper into, hey, maybe it's more of a career of working with leaders on their capacity to run these businesses, more than me just doing the running of the business or consulting with the businesses. So that's that's where it started. So obviously you've had a varied career, uh, yep. multifaceted. You've seen a lot of different aspects of mm -hmm. industry. And, um, and, I, and I would take it that our traditional understanding of health is quite different from what the holistic approach is, as you just enumerated. And I think that right. that is from, I'm a retired orthopedic surgeon. We spent my entire career fixing problems as uh, 
as opposed to and negligently so I should say um, uh, you know front running the problems before they became an issue and I think that uh, your approach to health seems to make a lot more sense and I think particularly in today's environment um, Tell me what the, the positive outcomes of a sustained pursuit of well-being are. What, what are the, how, does, how does an individual benefit? How does industry benefit? How does the work environment benefit? Um, so let's start with an individual uh, because I think, let's call it leadership of self. So I think to lead an organization well or lead any group well, uh, I think one has to lead themselves well first. Um, to the extent, or, or another way to say that is to the extent that I lead myself well is to the extent that I can lead others well. Uh, so individually, goes back to those outcomes that I spoke about earlier when I was, you know, working on the masters of, of um, what are those outcomes of, of how I think well, how I feel, my, the energy within my body, uh, the, the, the emotions within my heart. How do all of those things work together? The spirit kind of within my soul. And, I, and I'm not even talking about just a religious concept of that. It can be, it can be that, but kind of a broader meaning and purpose and connecting to something larger than myself. So I think of it as a continuum. And, you know, the, the, the continuum goes back in my mind to, uh, to go all the way back is the Greeks had this idea called eudaimonia. And if you translate that... I think I had that once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I got over yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he took some medicine, got some yeah. PT. Yeah, exactly. uh, uh, so the, the, this roughly translated to happiness, and the Greeks would pursue that. Well, it, the way that we look at happiness, which is kind of this conditional state based on what's going on around me, the Greeks had a completely different idea of it. Theirs was thriving and living with a flourishing. They use these words of excellence. And, and back in, in, in Greece, they didn't have psychology. Philosophy was active, and it was the psychology of the day. So they wouldn't have... The way philosophy may be characterized today would be you know, more of an academic pursuit and, and, and not for today. Well, actually, philosophy can be a very active and vibrant discipline. So eudaimonia is living excellently and living with flourishing. So that's this one side. Go to psychology. If you look back at the history of psychology, psychology was primarily concerned with how do I get someone out of a deficit? So, that, so that's a suffering side. So the other end of the continuum in, in from the 1850s through, I would even say, the 1990s, the, 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 the fundamental pursuit of psychology was how do we help people from, come from deficit living into just some kind of balanced middle? Into a norm. Into a norm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, it, but there really wasn't this concept of flourishing. In the 90s, uh, there's a professor at Penn, Martin Seligman, to know his name, um, he created a movement called positive psychology, which pulled back in this idea of how do we, how do we pursue flourishing in life and how do we thrive? So I'm just enamored by that whole idea of living on a continuum. So to, let's take it back to your world. 
uh, your world is, you know, do I fix a knee so someone just doesn't have pain or do I fix a knee so they can thrive and go do all the things they want to do in life? Well, I'm going to be much more inspired by the latter sure. rather than, you know, I'm not going to be inspired by just getting them back to the middle. I want them to be able to go do all the things that they could do before and I would imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's going to fire you up much more as a doctor than it is just relieving pain. But just as importantly, it's the patient's perspective, that their desire to not get back to the norm, but to, in your words, flourish or excel at what they were that's right. already doing. Yeah. Great, great. Um, I liked your observation that uh, uh, well-being is never static and mm. that the goal is progress, not perfection. I thought that was a great observation, and I may use it someday if you're not, if you don't, if you don't mind. <laughs> well, well, I can tell you, I didn't create it, so uh, we all stand on the shoulders of those before us. You know, the idea there for me is is it's much more of a way of life than it is a task. You know, it's do I lean into life and do I lean into the different areas of well-being uh, and. You know, we may do this in a little bit, but I, for me, I came up with these eight areas of fundamental, the fundamentals are what I called them, the eight areas of well-being, and that was physical, that was mental, that was emotional, uh, that was relational, financial, vocational, intellectual, and spiritual. And in all of those areas, um, you know, it, it, it's a way of approaching life versus some kind of static place to get to. So, yeah. Well, to transition just a little bit, we, you know, you talk about leadership. Does your focus just on the mm. leadership of a an entity or does it go into the, the individual employees or how, is there a, where is your... My primary focus is the leaders themselves mm -hmm. that are leading the organizations. There's, there's the, the work with the leaders. There's the work with the team. And then there's the work as the overall organization. There's, and each one of those needs attention, obviously. But my niche is much more working with the leader themselves on their own capacity to lead the teams and lead the organizations that they're serving. And I guess the byproduct of that is how does Living Well promote leadership qualities in an individual? And having said that, you know, most of us grow up and heard that leaders are born, not made. Yeah, and that leaders lead by example. Um, is that still a, a appropriate construct? Um, so you just said two different things there that right. I heard. One that are leaders born? Can they be developed? Or not made? Or can they be developed? Right. Um, I would say. Let me answer. I'm going to parse that question. Uh, can leadership be taught and developed? Absolutely. Are leadership are leaders born or made? The answer is it depends. It's a little bit of both, frankly. You know, the, and there's the, you know there's certain personality traits um, that are more predictive of someone becoming a leader or being or, or you know progressing into a leader role, and that's extroversion and conscientiousness are two personality traits that are more closely aligned with leaders. Uh, does that mean that if you don't have, or if you're not high in extroversion, can an introvert be a great leader? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't exclude that. I guess a, an example would be if you've got more than one child, 
you know, mm-hmm. from early on the nature nurture argument, you know, how much of that is their personality genetic and how much of their personality is environment for me with my four kids. And I'd be interested in your experience. You know, I probably would have said environment before I had kids, but then all of a sudden these babies are presenting themselves in really radically different ways. So much of their personality felt wired in and the environment either pulls that out more and accentuates it. So it's a both and to me. You know, building on that, you've been in construction and the restaurant business. What uh, industries or workplace environments really benefit from your mode of instruction and, and counsel? Uh, the way I do, the, the, the way the way I do leadership capacity or leadership coaching, it works out in any industry, honestly. Uh, and, and I don't say that flippantly. I'm, I'm, I'm seriously, a, better humans make better leaders. Yeah, I like that. I, yeah. it, I, I just mm-hmm. fundamentally have that belief. What about empathy and as a, as a component it's of a, a leader? It's a core part of it. Yeah, it's I mean, an, I've it, always thought that that was something that. And the people that I've seen, various right. aspects of my education and training and work environment, that's something that is is lacking, I should suggest. It, well, and, and so then I would start to use a term called virtue. It goes back to that eudaimonia idea of I have to have some feeling of being inspired by something excellent and something worthy to pursue. And I think the best leaders bring that, but to draw their followers, quote-unquote, into the process, if they don't feel attached or connected to that leader, I think empathy is that bridge that connects followers and leaders. I'm not going to follow someone that I don't feel like understands or appreciates where I'm coming from. Kind of a jump shift here. Uh, your paper alluded to the challenges of the recent pandemic and the, mm. and the post-pandemic environment. What, what kind of challenges have arisen as a result? Right. So generally, um, and, and you and I can go back and forth on this a little bit, before the pandemic, I would have made this statement. I think society is moving to a more fluid and complex and ambiguous culture or way of life. The pace of life has been quickened. Everything is kind of moving, and it, it almost felt destabilizing to a point. What I think the pandemic did is is it pulled something that may be happening over 10 years into a year or two. It just rapidly accelerated that sense of destabilization of what's under our feet, of feeling grounded as a society um, and, is that what and, you and in our community. Is that what you refer to as fragmentation? That's what I would refer to as fragmentation. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a wonderful article in The Atlantic by Jonathan Haidt, who's a social psychologist that talks about the the social ungluing of our society. Another way to put that is just the political and social polarization that's going on. So that to me, uh, well, let me ask you this. Would you agree or disagree with that statement? Very much so, yeah. So so to me, therein lies the opportunity of coaching leaders. Uh, I can't coach you how to respond to every circumstance because the circumstances are so complex and so varied what I do want to do is build your capacity to be able to pivot and to, and to be agile and to respond to things. But that's more about who you are. Empathy. I can take an empathetic person and trust that they're going to show up. I can't predict what the circumstance is going to be. But if they are high in empathy and if they're high 
and, and you know, high in their own self-development and, and excelling in these different areas, I think they're going to be more likely than not to show up well in the moment of truth, so to speak. What are the primary obstacles to implementation? Is it individuals mm. you work with? Is it mm-hmm. logistical? Is it, uh, again, it doesn't seem to be industry specific, but uh, wh- yeah. what do you find to be uh, the restraints on accomplishing what you're interested yeah. in doing? So the obstacles are going to be this. You know, one obstacle um, is this idea of leadership development as an event. You know, the, the, the three-day one-off. You know, so going back to the leadership development intensive, that's an incredible experience. But I have to understand that leadership development is a long and messy process. And it's one of those things that you go to and you come back and you go to and you come back for. So I think that obstacle then is this, with this pace of society and business going on, they're demanding too much out of a process too quickly for too little money. So another way to say that is, is I think leadership development that's really effective is going to take longer, cost more, and take more energy to really be effective than people appreciate. And it's almost like we have a societal ADHD <laughs> where we jump to the next shiny yeah. effort. And that's why you have... So you, you know, have to have a sustained commitment. Is basically. A sustained yeah. commitment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's important. Um, but that's why it's an ongoing process. It's a progress thing more than it is a perfection thing. Correct. Um, you know, there are a lot of metrics we use to determine whether anything is successful in business is profit margins or productivity. Mm-hmm. If you come into my business and offer this service, mm. what are the, what metrics can I, how do I kind of determine whether or not you're being successful or that it's being successfully implemented in my business? Is it very, is it very subjective? I mean, obviously it's, you can't put numbers on it. Yes, it's subjective. And I think that's actually a task. We do need to drive ourselves to evaluate and to hold ourselves accountable to some type of our ROI on our effort. We can't just have everything be subjective. So therein lies the, the rub. It's, it, because we're talking about human development and we're talking about personal development. Well, I can't measure that with a scale of what my weight correct, is correct. Or, or, or with an EKG machine. So fundamentally, I guess the first line of defense for am I successful or not is that leader making progress on a continuum to where if they scored themselves, am I living in a deficit or am I living in the middle or am I thriving? Are we increasing that to where they're more moving towards thriving in more areas than not? So that's success as an individual, as an organization. It's hard to quantify it. It's hard to quantify, but, but you have to try to measure it. Yeah. So, and then you have to create a baseline and you come back to it as you go through an engagement. In terms of the organization, I start with the, you know, what are the organization's goals and is the organization achieving them? So to the extent that that leader shows up well and does their part to that, you know, there's so many variables that go into that. Right. So I would, I would look at the people, you know, are the teams engaged? Do you right. have a high team engagement? Do I feel like... Do the, do the teams feel supported? Do the, do the te- is it a positive work environment? Is it a growth work environment? Do they have a mindset of, of what's right here and what's possible versus what's wrong here and what do we need to fix all the time? Right. 
kind of as we close down, is there anything else that you would like to address? What have we left out? I'm sure there, there's such an expansive topic that it's hard to cover in just, you know, 30 minute interview, but uh, anything else that comes to mind that we need to let our audience know about? Well, you asked a question that we didn't, uh, that we didn't get to answer is the, do leaders still lead by example? And I think they absolutely do. Um, and it goes back to that qualitative, I want to be inspired. I want to be inspired by my leaders. And I'm inspired by good examples. Right. I'm not, in, I, I'm not inspired by, uh, the, by the worldly things. The walk, the walk, and talk, the talk. Yeah. That's right. That's <laughs> right. That's right. You know, do as I do. Right, exactly. Not as I say necessarily. Yeah. And there's, there's too much do as I say versus do as I do. And, and we're watching our leaders all the time for inspiration. That's, that's part of leadership is about influencing others towards a common goal. Well, I influence with inspiration and with empathy, To back to your point. So I just that's the one thing I think we missed coming back is, is leadership by example is, is fundamental to the whole conversation. Right. Well, this has really been an enlightening interview, especially for me that is, uh, comes from the outside, you know, as a practicing physician versus someone uh, like yourself that is trying to implement something uh, in a, a preface to problems. You know, right. So it's, it's really been uh, exposed me and all of our listeners to a philosophy that would obviously have, it a, have a positive impact not only on the individual but the workplace. So I want to thank you for being here and sharing your insights. And also I'd like to give you the opportunity uh, to let our listeners know uh, if they want to get in touch with you, how best can they do so? Uh, the best way to get in touch with me is my email, kerryfolk at mac.com, C-A-R-E-Y-F-O-L-K at mac.com. That's the best way to get me. Great. Kerry, thanks so much. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. <laughs>